Hello and welcome to the Zenial Dome. My name is Gareth Quinn. And I'm Essel Sears. This is the podcast for anyone born between 1977 and 1985, or to put it another way, anyone who has ever had to wait to be rescued by the REC in the back of a Talbot Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is a Talbot Alpine? <laughs> Well, in our case, it was a really horrible bright orange car. Oh. But the name is so 80s. Yes. Talbot is obviously one of those brands of car that doesn't exist anymore. And then Alpine implies a sense of adventure that that car was simply not (laughs) capable of. Couldn't get from Neath to Wrexham, is the... the the, When you said Alpine, I just imagined it being made out of wood. Yeah, I, I imagine a good portion of it was, as cars in those days were. Right. <laughs> but um, this is inspired by the fact that on the way back from Achantleth, I passed up the early 90s larder. I am fascinated by the different trajectories that larder and Skoda followed from, like, the 80s onwards, and the fact that Skoda somehow is now an acceptable car. But they were they were bunched in together, weren't they? Lada and Skoda were just the shit cars. The jokes were interchangeable. And then at some point, yeah. Skoda lent into it. They did like a poster campaign where they went, you wouldn't think this was Skoda or something like that. And then everyone went, <laughs> oh, wow, they've got a sense of humour. Maybe I'll buy one. It's um, amazing, isn't it? In the same, yeah, it's the same trick that KFC used for chips, only for something that costs thousands and thousands of pounds. <laughs> I, I'm quite pleased that we've started this episode with a analysis of a joke because that couldn't be better for the person who we're introducing, who has probably analysed more jokes on a podcast than any other person. And people think we just throw this together, Gareth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on today's podcast, we're speaking to the comedian's comedian, Stuart Goldsmith. Uh, he is a superb stand-up comedian, and he's also the host of a fantastic podcast in which he interviews other comics. He is a fascinating guest little heads up in the episode he talks about his special called i need you alive and in it we were speaking to him just before it was released where it was going online um as part of an event that special is now available on youtube so have a listen to Stu, uh enjoy what Stu has to say and then get on youtube and check out his special it's brilliant it's called i need you alive and it is on the 800 pound gorilla media youtube channel so please enjoy stand-up comedy and 1977's Stuart goldsmith <laughs> Hello, thank you Hello. for having me. We've got to pretend that we haven't had a load of technical errors here to get us off the ground. I don't think we do. My instinct as a podcaster is to lean into the technical errors and spend, and then spend the episode discussing the technical errors, but for a zenial <laughs> paradigm. Because what could be more zenial? Which is all I know about zenials is it, it, we overlap a period of like we had an analog childhood and a digital. Adulthood, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, this is an extremely digital adulthood, and sadly, (laughs) we can't reach into the guts of the various different apps we're using and fix them by winding them round with a pencil. (laughs) As a fellow podcaster and a a veteran podcaster myself, um, you can never... Now, I can never say this the right way around. You can never overestimate the technical ability of anyone. My friend Carl um, does... uh, He works in kind of website... um, He kind of does things with conversion rates and A-B testing to an extremely high level. And I remember him telling me, when building a website, you need to imagine that the, the user is Homer Simpson. 
<laughs> and I've, that's really stayed with me. Like, you have to make, like, what does the website do? Pick one job and put a big red button in the page that says, <laughs> press the button to do the thing and nothing else. And then it'll I, work. In this case, the big red button that does the thing was the button that said record, and all it did was unleash chaos. <laughs> it's really funny, I think, as well, because as Zennials, I think we've got we've got a layer of confidence when it comes to technology, because when new technology was coming out, our parents didn't know what was going on. Mm. So we couldn't ask them to help us. We had to try and just work our way through it ourselves. Yes. So when it comes to stuff like this, we think we can do it, and we kind of have to do it. We have to work out the glitches, because there are no parents we can ask. <laughs> That's true, that's true. And I, I, the other thing, I, and I, I didn't know this, I'm saying this now as if I know it, but the truth is I looked it up before coming on the show. <laughs> Apparently another feature of Xennials is that we are entrepreneurial. And that really, I, lo- I really like that about myself. I think I am. But I think what that means to me is often that I will fix something in the most ludicrously kind of, or rather not even fix something, but create um, a working system by lashing together three existing systems that don't do quite what I want, <laughs> because I mistrust systems that are all shiny and packaged and, and kind of 2020s. So Have you been to my house? <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining now a Heath Robinson house. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I think that's because we grew up with the game Mousetrap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, I think the mousetrap's got a lot to answer for. I think you're right. There's a lot of, oh, I can, I can fix this. We have a dryer in our house, which hasn't worked for about nine months because we fixed it once. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got another, like, probably six weeks' worth of work out of it. And then it broke again. And we're like, well, we can always yes, fix it totally, again. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, completely right. And I get this. I mean, my, my dad, uh, Dave Goldsmith, is a bit of a, uh, like, he's a proper old school, like, whatever. He, I guess he's a boomer right um mm. so he knows how to take the engine out of a car with a block and tackle and he can knock down a wall and rebuild it. he's proper proper skills and um, whereas i'm and i'm just edging into like i've grown up with that looking and being fascinated and not really understanding the physics so i can bleed a radiator and put a shelf yeah. up but that's kind of my limit um i remember when it was his birthday and he lives in spain and i was out um visiting him we were setting up a marquee it was a big birthday and he used and i took a photo of it at the time it came up on like my random memories thing he used a hammer to bang... He was rigging a marquee. You know the foot of a marquee, like a metal foot with two loops in yeah. it to, for tent pegs. He used a hammer to drive a screw into soil to make it work. And I was like, that is... You know, that, That's incredible. Yeah, that, so that, I have that approach, but for slightly more advanced technology. That's really interesting, though, because actually one of the first questions we wanted to ask you is whether you saw anything in these generational categories of boomer, Gen X and millennials. Um, and what you've just told us there, and especially the, um, the story with your dad, there obviously is something in it that we might all approach life differently. Well, I suppose we, I think um, humans apply ourselves to problems. Like, I'm a problem solver. It's why I, I, I have a pet theory that I've only ever gone so far as a comedian because to be a real high level comedian, you need to wallow in your problems, but my instinct is to fix them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, like, I can't, the amount of stand up I watch where I'm like, oh, come on, you could completely have solved that. You know, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, me and Richard Sandling, when we used to do a double act together, we, a Kiosk of Champions, we had a routine about 
lazy comedians going, oh, why don't they make, a, you know, why is there a gap on the tube? You know, why don't they just not make a gap? And you go, well, it's because the tube often goes around curves. You know, so it has to, but this, this, the, the carriages are straight. So I've got this kind of bloody minded, no, fix the thing. If we're stuck in a lift, I'm not going to sit there and go, mm, on the other day I got stuck in a lift. I'm going to get us out of the lift. So <laughs> it's to my detriment as a comedian. But I, I do think um, humans like solving problems. And I think we use the available things to solve problems with. So whether it's as an obscure Scrabble word, which I believe is ko, K-O, and the meaning of it is it's a mulry digging stick. And um, what you do, I mean, I don't know what it is, but the idea of a digging stick to me suggests <laughs> we need to make a hole. We have yet to invent the spade. I will use this stick and dig a yeah. hole, and that's there we go, solve the problem. It's a broken space. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. maybe, maybe. Listen, with all due respect to Maori culture, I haven't looked into the intricacies of the digging stick. Yeah. It may be better. I've never seen one, and it might be that it has a. It's like a shovel, and it's very advanced. I've no idea. But, um, but yes. Yeah, so I think the differences with zennials, the things for which we are reaching and scrabbling to solve our problems are sort of mid-level, like the classic Xennial thing, presumably, as we all did, I'm sure, as children, is to fix a cassette by putting a pencil yeah. in it, which yeah. there's something so perfect about the fact that the hexagonal pencil perfectly fits the cog. Mm. But we grew up with, this, te- this is technology and I don't understand it, but I can fix it. I can MacGyver it. <laughs> MacGyver yeah. is the hero yeah. of Xennials, right? Th- yeah. It's all very tactile, mm. I think. All that stuff, that like, like videos and cassettes and things like that. You yeah. can, and even records on needles, you can sort of see it. And then, yeah, I, and couldn't, so I couldn't reproduce on a desert island or, you know, said to the distant past, I could not reproduce a cassette. I understand no. that there is a ribbon and magnets and I'm out. That's all I've got. Yeah. But that was, it was kind of analogue. It was enough. It was like the bridge between this. It's, I mean, now my brother codes. It's wizardry. I, yeah. I will never understand any of it. Um, yeah. But back then it was like, well, it's it's a thing you don't understand, but you can take the cartridge out and blow it or roll the batteries. <laughs> you know, those things are, uh, yeah. they seem to work. So I, when the things like the the internet feels like just like when the internet sort of waded into the view. <laughs> did you see, go like, oh, I want to be on, on with this? Did you see this coming as like, oh, this is the future? Or did you go, ah, this is not for me? I That's a really good question. I think I, I mean, I had an embarrassing, a, now, a, a name of which I'm now embarrassed as a street performer when I was like sort of 18, 19. And We're going to get this out of you across I remember the choosing, <laughs> sure, try. And, <laughs> and I remember that being my Yahoo. I didn't have Hotmail, but I did have Yahoo. Ah. And I remember that being my first Yahoo address. And now I've had to migrate from Yahoo to Gmail because years ago, Yahoo let you choose a second one. I think they knew we'd made some bad choices. But what I can't do is use the second one on my phone. So I had to. I can't be sending emails from that address anymore. And I, it's you know, I don't want to entirely give away my old life and I'm nostalgic feelings about it. But I'm like, I simply cannot do that. So I think when when emails started, yes, I feel like I probably thought, what's this? I probably thought, like, I don't think I thought oh, my God, this is wonderful, this is the future. I thought, oh, God, another thing. You know? <laughs> it, it, it's quite funny to think of, like, street performers, circus performers, all that, going like, ah, uh, men. That's always <laughs> a thing for... So I, I, I'm interested by how the circus community took to. Well, I remember... OK, so uh, my friend Pedro, now very famous in Portugal, he's one of the guests of Portugal's Got Talent. Um, wow. One of the guests, one of the hosts, one of the, one of the judges. He and I were at circus school together in '96, 
and he had a website. And I remember thinking, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it would have been like a GeoCities or something, I guess. A website in 1996. Is that possible? Have I made yeah. that oh, up? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely wow. possible. It would, it would have been him, the BBC, yeah. <laughs> government, <laughs> um, and any details about Clinton. That's yes. And that's basically and that's what the internet was. 98% pornography and then 1% the military in a deep web we didn't understand. Yeah. But I, I do remember for sure, I remember being at the Edinburgh Festival in like the early, and I just can't call them the noughties, but the early 2000s, um, being at the Edinburgh Festival and being aware that the young, keen Canadian street performers all had their own websites. Oh. And it was a bit like... It wasn't like, uh, but it was more sort of, oh, come on. It was a bit like, <laughs> you, you're a street performer. You're out this, you know, do the real thing. Don't be, don't be having a website and trying to advance in your career. And then, you know, oh, yes, you, we all should have done that. You know. So they, they <laughs> were early adopters. I wasn't an early adopter. I've never been one of them. Oh, God. Because I, I, I'll be honest, as a street performer punter, um, I do like the mystique that comes with street performing and that you arrive on a street and then leave and, you know, there's no way of tracking you. <laughs> yes. Well, God, a lot of us don't use our real names and stuff. Yeah, for sure. That was an, that was an enormous part of the, the excitement for me as this is how I spent my kind of late teenage years and 20s. You feel like you're on a sort of perma heist and you walk between the raindrops, no one knows your real name, you travel illegally, you don't have visas, you know, you work all over the world, and um, and all of your friends have got made-up names that you don't know their real names a lot of the time, and then when you do, it's always Paul, and it's very disappointing. <laughs> you went to circus school? I did, but not uh, not for not like Jackie Chan went to circus school. Not like the age of three, you get dropped off at circus school. <laughs> I went there for a year when I was I'd done my A levels and I didn't get into drama school. And I was a juggler and I'd done a few street shows once or twice. And I went, yeah, the circus. So I ran off, and it's mainly press ups, guys. I got to tell you, it's mainly press ups, and it broke my heart. And I had one of the toughest, most tearful years of my life. Because <laughs> I was interested by what. What had you seen of the circus to make you go circus? Almost because, nothing. Almost nothing. Right, okay. I tell you what. I tell you what. Uh, the Daredevil comic books, where wow. he was like an I acrobat really... who would like run along rooftops of buildings, the pre-parkour, you know, and like pre the existence of parkour. And I just had this idea of I'd, I'd be like a circus guy. I was going on nothing. <laughs> I, I'd seen maybe one Cirque du Soleil show on video. Um, mm. And oh, and I tell you what. I tell you exactly what it was. Um, I, I'd seen Our Chaos. I'd seen a video documentary about the French heavy metal circus Our Chaos, who came in and changed the landscape in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s. It was, and it was all, it was like this, what was his name? Pierre someone. Um, and he just had this. They changed the whole aesthetic and it was motorbikes and punks and corrugated iron and flamethrowers. And um, I think I'd seen the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow and I'd seen a bunch of cabaret acts on Viva Cabaret. Do you remember Viva Cabaret? I am an old as any old. You may not remember no. it. No. <laughs> but it was, I remember the, the, the intro for Viva Cabaret. I think it's the red name of the show. It, had, um, it was beautiful. It, was, it had two women in long black, in big black hats, like wedding type hats, sitting down with a table with black glasses on it. And they sort of sat and it turned into a skull. And you were like, whoa, oh, it was wow. like a tomboy kind of thing. Do you remember on Alan Partridge, knowing me, knowing you, they had a circus 
troupe come in yes. for one of the episodes, yes. and they were like a punk yeah. French. Yeah, sure. They, um, they would have been. They would have been lifting. That would have been a riff on our chaos for sure. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So because um, those guys are a little bit older than me that were writing that, I guess. So mm. they would have. That would have been entrenched as like that's the kind of hip French punk. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. So. Um, so I would have seen not actual circus but freak show, and I was really excited about oh. freak show. And, you know, hammering a nail up your nose and that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know, Penn and Teller grabbing their yeah, little yeah. trick where you get like um, a little milk creamer, one of those little disposable things, and you hide it in your hand and then you grab a fork off the table during dinner and hold it up to your eye and stab it and all the milk comes out. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So that the first street show double act I had was me and my best mate, and it was called Hot and Spiky Circus, and it was walking on broken glass, breathing fire, biting their head off a drill bit was it as you drilled it, <laughs> stuff like that. It was freak show stuff. So I, I had that as a sort of, oh, my God, alternativeness in spades. This is great. Mm, yeah. And then I arrived and it was like, oh, it's Norwegians and press-ups. Oh. oh and I, should, I don't know why I said Norwegians. It was, I was the only <laughs> English guy there and I was too young. Everyone else was 25 and from Norway or Germany or Australia. They were all lovely, <laughs> but I was wildly out of my depth and they were like, we're here to train. And I was like, I'm here to not go to, to drama school. You know? <laughs> so the performing element then, because you mentioned that you'd done a few street performances before this. When was that then? Were you a teenager? Yes. Me and Noel okay. learnt the secret of how to walk on broken glass. We saw someone do it in the street and we went, I think I know how he's done that. And fuelled by Penn and Teller oh. and youthful confidence, we went, yeah, we'll try it. We tried it and thank God we got it right. And so... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of thing you only get wrong once, really. Isn't it? <laughs> no, we, the... we got it wrong several times. <laughs> but you know what you need. It's like stand-up comedy gigs. As long as the first one goes well, you think, oh, I can do this. And then yeah. it goes wrong a few times. I mean, I've had sometimes right. fire breathing where the wind caught it or I didn't blow hard enough. And the, I remember seeing the fireball fly back along the spray of atomized paraffin coming from my mouth. Oh. And I shut it off at the last second. And I And you know the... You know when blue plastic rope burns, the end of it kind of bubbles? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know if that was Why too weird a reference. No, yeah. I, the kind of nylon, nylon yeah, thread, you know, it burns, it bubbles, yeah. so you get the thread and then a little ball on the end. Mm. That happened with my eyelashes. So, <laughs> that, so that trying to open them, there was a slight resistance, like a Venus flytrap, oh, you know, kind of like a sure. pink like that. Yeah, so, um, so if it works the first time, loads of confidence, just like stand-up comedy where you do your first gig and you go, this went well enough, and then you <laughs> yeah. can survive the next 20 bombs, you know. So when it goes wrong, but you've got away with it, when you've got the eyelash scenario yeah. happening... You've got to plow on as though that was meant to happen, presumably. Oh, you can't that go, was good. Good <laughs> point. That was that was close. Okay, yeah, good point. So, um, I that the incident when it went wrong, I think the, the wrongest it's been has always been in like rehearsal kind of sessions. I don't think that ever went wrong on stage. Although I did once, you know, you, you juggle your fire torches and then you catch them all and then you f- flick your arms out to the side, ready to bow, and that action, if you time it right, puts them out. Well, one time, oh. one of them came unscrewed and flew off and was still on fire and hit someone in the hit a kid in the crowd <gasps> who wasn't wearing a shell suit. Thank God, because oh my God. that closed down buskers' pitches in a town called Surfers Paradise. Uh, there will never be busking in that town because <gasps> someone's shell, shell suit went up. Not me. Nothing to do with me. Wow. Um, but yeah, so that it can go wrong. And the problem is, you get into these kind of dangerous props and you lose. 
you lose respect for them because you just do it and everyone's like, oh, that looks really dangerous. And you're like, uh-huh, well, I know the secret if you've got the technique. <laughs> you lose respect for them and then that's when accidents happen. I'd, I'd never even thought that the fashion of the day would have caused such an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very specific, isn't it? It really dates it. Because these days, oh, shell suits will probably be back any minute, won't they? Thinking about the generational gap then, I mean, did, did your parents support, you know, your, your dalliance with, with the circus? Yes, they... That, that wasn't a confident yet. <laughs> no, I think they weren't anti it at all. They were no. very supportive. They, they were supportive in the way that they kind of let... They got out of my way and let me do it, mm. you know? Mm. No, because I'm, I'm just thinking, because I think traditionally, boomers especially, I think they're very cautious when it comes to money and when it comes to jobs... Um, and they, I think they're the last real generation to stick with one job for their whole lives. I think that, yes, I, I think that my... You're right, my mum was always a primary school teacher. Mm. My dad um, was a civil engineer and built his own business putting cones on motorways, like designing where they go and then putting them there. I really love... You know my favourite cone is the... Um, no. <laughs> the green... The green ones with like the purple light on them. It's like green and purple, oh, and there's special. a purple light on I them. I don't know what that signifies, do you? I don't. I think it's electricity or something. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. No, lovely. <laughs> Can't my, my, my earliest memory is being dandled in an inverted traffic cone. Because <laughs> we always had them in the back garden. They were always like there's some of the yard, some of the garden, you know, kind of. So yeah, I, like a student I, house. I have a fondness for it. His company used to be called Chevron. He sold it on or got a, got acquired or something, and he's nothing to do with it anymore. But on the backs of signs, as you crawl through a through a, a what I know to be called a contraflow, um, when you <laughs> when you're crawling through a contraflow, you can often see a little Chevron logo. And I'm like, oh, I remember having the Chevron ruler at school because it was like a. <laughs> You know, like your dad gives you a bit of merch from the business sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so so he was he did that for most of his working life. But he was very, I was very inspired by him. And again, he was very entrepreneurial. He very he had a really um, he really got into fixing problems. Like he'd be in the he'd be in the office, he'd be in the boardroom laying out the blueprints, and then he'd be mm. on his hands and knees under a van fixing the van on site and what have you. He was a problem. He, he is still is. He's still alive. Seventy five soon. Um, but he, he's still knocking down walls in his house and rebuilding them. And, you know, he, he just he yeah. does. He's a doer. And I think I really was very inspired by that. I think I've got a very busy brain. And I like, mm. like I said, I like solving problems. Circus is great for a busy brain. And street, I think what I'm getting to is that I think he was supportive because he understood that my dalliance with circus and street performing... A, had a financial component, because I was like, Dad, I'm 16, I've just made 30 quid fire-breathing in the street. And, he, and he's like, this gives me an idea. You know, I'm like, yeah, same, same. So they, he understood that it was like a... I think he believed in my... Uh, in the likelihood that I would apply myself and work hard and make something work. Mm. I think he probably quite liked that, but he loved it when I became a stand-up, because then he could explain what I did to people. Yeah. Where he could say he's a comedian and people go, I know what that is. Whereas yeah. it's been 10 years of what the hell are you? You know. And presumably when you ask people to sort of stand away for your fire breathing, you had the cones. <laughs> <laughs> you had the space. <laughs> I th- I th- th- that's really interesting, though, because I find it fascinating that most people we have interviewed for this podcast, when we talk about 
about their first jobs after school, after university. At some point, if you are a Xenial, you have been made redundant. Mm. And one oh, interesting, interesting thing is that someone who has launched themselves into the world of street performing and circus skills... <laughs> You haven't been made redundant. So I, will, I would say you have had the most steadfast and sensible career out of a lot of the people you know, we've spoken that's, to. That's so funny because I, I agree. And like part of the plan, although it was like it, it dovetailed nicely between be really radical and alternative and run off and get tattoos and, you know, which I never mm. did. But, uh, you know, that that kind of that sort of woof of like the that's where the energy came from. Like, go and do something different that isn't grey mm. and faceless and all the other things you rudely consider anyone with a real job to be. Um, <laughs> and let's you know, it's the spectre of ADHD. I'm on the pathway. I've not been diagnosed, <laughs> but come on. Um, so it was like novelty every night. So every day, something different. That drove it, but it had a core of I will be unsackable. I will because mm. I, I can't be made redundant. There are certainly times when I'm impoverished, but it's my fault. There are times yeah. when it rains or a brass band is on the pitch and you can't work and they won't they won't negotiate. And they're just like well, there's twenty of them. They're going to do that. Or the break dancers are there, and you're like, well, that's today. That's this weekend's income screwed. There have been moments like that, but throughout it, it's like. One big job still out there. Do you know what I mean? That that, that yeah. the, the perma heist. This is I can crack this. So no, I've never been made redundant, and and I can't understand what redundancy is because I've never relied on someone to give me a job. I don't you know. This is I do sound like a boomer now. Bootstraps and all, you know. But but that was that was part of the plan. It was do so. And same with stand up. Do something nuts and heroic, um, mm. and in in doing so, be self employed and unsackable. No one's. I've never heard anyone put it like that before. Because actually, when you are employed by someone, you do depend on them keeping that job for you, and and other people performing around you. So nothing happens to the business. You know that that knock on effect that you have in a, you know, when you're on a payroll. Whereas, like you said, if you work for yourself, it's it's up to you. And you I kind can't of, imagine it. I li- yeah. I can't. I sort of can't get my head around it. Yeah. Oh, I fancy it from time to time now. <laughs> <laughs> when we all when we all need a pension, we might yeah, yeah we might have a different approach to it. <laughs> um, talking of your entrepreneurial spirit. Oh. Uh, well, I I think so. You moved to stand up and are now responsible for one of I think the great podcasts, the Comedians Comedian Podcast. It is. I think I've told you this before, but the work you have done to save biographers' time in forty to fifty years' time—you <laughs> have, you've interviewed everyone at the point, at such fascinating points in yeah. their career. Yeah, and Thank you. you latched onto podcasting. I think at a time when it was not what it is now. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, and I and I'm really intrigued by this. Is the entrepreneurial spirit as well? Did you think? Oh, do you know what? I'll knock out four hundred of these across the next twelve years. <laughs> like, what? Did, what were you getting it into? Yeah, what did yeah. you think you were getting it? Into? Okay, first, thank you. I am almost crying because I, <laughs> it means I genuinely it means an enormous amount to me. I'm having a break from it at the moment because I'm writing a book about it, so I haven't been doing so many interviews, and mm. I get. Within the life of the podcast, it has gone from, oh, a podcast, what is that? And I used to have jokes at the end of a show where I'd say, hey, follow my podcast and it's downloadable <laughs> internet radio. And if you don't know what the internet is, I can't help you, you know. Um, but uh, so I've been doing it for a long time, for over 10 years, nearly 11 years now. And, um, and I absolutely love it. And because I've had a break from it, I sort of miss it. And yes, I've done 421 episodes now. Is it going to go on forever? I don't know. 
is there a sense in doing another 420 episodes? Should I try and get to 500? Should I try and get to 1,000? Should I stop? Who knows? And so when I hear people say things like that, it affects me genuinely and very deeply because I am so fucking proud of this body of work mm. and I, I regard everyone's like what's your favourite episode I'm like they're all my babies and I love the process <laughs> and I tried to get it made on TV years ago and th- all the TV companies basically it boiled down to we just like the five minutes where they cry and I said <laughs> this will not stand it's it's yeah. a journey it's a long sometimes very long journey and you know so all of that stuff very proud of it obviously over the life of podcasting I remember almost like the month where all radio stations went, what, we can just podcast all of our existing content? Bang, yeah. kiss goodbye to the top 100. You know, that like <laughs> suddenly it filled up. Mm. So um, did I know that I would do 400? No, I thought I'd do it forever. I think my mentality, I always used to say to people, don't worry, I'll get to you. I'll get round to you. I'm not, I'm not going to stop. I said on the show, you, I'm, I'm not going to stop. Why would I stop? And I think that's the same combination of whether it's an entrepreneurial spirit or something. It's something alternative. It wasn't being done. I mean, it was mm. sort of... Impo- I mean, it was, other people were interviewing comics, but I think Marin, who I th- have enormous respect for as a podcaster and interviewer and a, and a comic, I think Mark Marin was... It was a lot about him, and that's the fun and the friction of it. And I tried, probably wrongly in hindsight, I tried to be invisible in mine. I tried to go, it's for them. I'm going to ask a penetrating question and then shut up and listen. And so you end up with a very different skill set, a very different podcast and a considerably less successful one because actually people want personality. You know, it's hard to get people to come and see my stand-up shows if they love the pod because what they love is the fact that I am quiet and perceptive and challenging yeah. rather than I'm like, here's my opinions. You know, so, but it, but it is me. It grew because it's, it's the thing I did and I devoted loads and loads of time to it and it, it just it is what it is and it reflects who I am, which is I'm not massively opinionated. I'm much more interested in... in trying to get to the like yes 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 who are you yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but who yeah. are you you know i the thing that um well i it, i wish that you'd been around in the 70s is the truth <laughs> because <laughs> i was I feel, as we yeah. established <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that generations of comics have sort of escaped this sort of program and now there are podcasts where they sort of like dig into people i feel like you have caught you were the first person i feel to like do that sort of Mm. interview with those sort of comics at that sort of period in their careers yeah and the only ones like like, i don't know if you've ever seen tony hancock's interview um on it's called face to face i'm gonna let you into a little secret i saw that and i went Oh, this is what's possible. Is <laughs> yeah. I, I remember watching it because I'd watched it years ago, and then I listened to loads of your podcast, and then I watched it again, and he ends with the question, "Are you happy?" Oh, and does I was he? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. that is annoying. I didn't know yeah. that. The bit, I, <laughs> I saw a little clip years ago. I saw a tiny little oh. clip on Facebook, and I never went to see the rest of it. So I saw a tiny little clip, and it's just the bit where he says, "Do you think about death?" Or something like that. And it just, it's like a massive shot on that. And when I saw yeah. that. And the you, camera's right on his face. 100%. Yeah. When, I, when I said a minute ago, oh, I, uh, I tried to get it made on TV, that's what I wanted to do. I'd seen that mm, and I went, yeah. oh, I should just do that. I'll do that. Let's just zoom right in on, you know, Sindhu V's face. And I'm like, yeah. But come on, Sindhu. Who are you? You know, yes. she just looks at me and her lip trembles. That's what I want, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I love it. As a, as a comedian, I have enjoyed your podcast for, for, for so many different reasons. But, but also because what, as I go through my own comedy journey, I like to listen back to people when they were at the same stage as I am now. So, for example, if I'm having an existential crisis, which I think most comics have 
on a daily basis. For sure. <laughs> it's quite nice to think, right, I've been doing comedy for this long now, you know, I'll go back, I'll, I'll have a listen to, to Stuart's pod and see who was, who was around about this time. You know, they'd been going about five years. Let's see, you know, if James A. Custer was having a breakdown. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Funnily enough, I've just, uh, because I'm writing the book, to keep the feed alive, I'm re-releasing some old episodes and I've just put up one with A. Custer from 2013. So there 10 years ago... And yeah. I made him do half an hour in front of a live audience and then podcasted him about it in a way that no one would ever agree to. Now, bless him, he's so kind to do that. Um, but yes, you've made me realise it's a really good point. People do use it like that. I love that. And actually yeah. what I should do is go back and tweak the show notes or the titles to include Sarah Pascoe brackets five years in. You know, yeah. Because, yeah. It, because it's only going to yeah. get more fascinating to go, oh, look at this colossal person. I mean... Yeah. yeah, it goes in both directions. Four of them have sadly passed away. I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. 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 So, so having something like that, it's, it's a bit like having some career guidance. Yes. Yes. I'm pleased to hear it. I never intended it to be that. I only intended no. it to be a record for me to learn how to get good at jokes. Mm. I just wanted to go, you're a master crafts person. Tell me how you do it and I'll learn from that and I'll record it so I don't forget, and I may as well release it. That was the, that was the plan. <laughs> is there something that you think marks Xenial Comics out? Is there an element where you go, oh, you're that age, you're going to say these things, or is it, as I suspect, more to do with when you started rather than how old you are? Very good question. <laughs> God, an absolute ass. No, that's a blinder of a question. I think me and Essex are very close in age, but my time with stand-up was like 2005 till 2008 yep and i and essex is much more recent but i think essex's comedic sensibility will be shaped by who she started with over age will be my guess i think that they both play a part i think that the job as you or i would know it as people who started in the mid 2000s is a world away from the job now. I had Tom Horton on the podcast recently. He's in his 30s, I guess. But he is, um, you know, he was in The Noise Next Door and then mm. he, now he's huge on TikTok, 300,000 people on TikTok. Um, he, we had the conversation, the pre-mic check, pre-podcast conversation and he was saying, God, that's the, it, was, it wasn't even on tape. He just said, God, that's the job of a comic now, isn't it? You've got to be a producer. And you do. You have to. He said yeah, the best thing yeah. he did over the pandemic wasn't living in the Tower of London, living in the literal Tower of London, <laughs> although I'm sure that didn't hurt. He said the best thing was he sat down for a month and he taught himself to edit. Mm. So the skill set that you need now as a stand-up to be a particular type of stand-up, but really, I mean, this is a huge topic. You know, you used to go to Edinburgh to build your crowd. Now you build your crowd online and then go to Edinburgh and sell them mm. tickets. That's like the, last year was the fulcrum point where all change. Why would you why mm. would you do the old method? Why would you ever bother? Yeah. Um, so go to gigs ignore the other comics as they tut at you while you set your camera up at the background of every gig <laughs> make a decision in your life am I going to be someone who deliberately starts crowd work in order to sort of rip off what I would see as ripping off the live audience in order to save the crowd work and build your audience but I'm an idiot and a fossil and a dinosaur for seeing that as ripping it off because that's the job and if you want to sell tickets you know it's all the Amer Americans have been doing it look at what mm. Americans are doing right now and start doing that right now because everyone else will be doing it in five to ten years in the they're, UK. Yeah. they're the current Canadians with a website they are a hundred percent beautifully structured Thank you. so yes so in, in answer to your question the job itself has changed phenomenally over the last ten years over the last however many you know um, and the people within it are probably the motivating factor for most of them is the point at which they catch on to that 
yeah. rather than how old they are. Because you can be in your 40s and going, OK, cracks knuckles, better learn how this internet works. And if you <laughs> commit to it, you feel like a dinosaur and six months later you can be stratospherically afar, further down the road than a 20-year-old who didn't do all that stuff. Yeah, You really but, can, and I but think it's hard. We- Well, senialism lends itself to being able to adopt that because that's the whole point is that we we didn't have any of that tech when we were very young. But we did, you know, we did take it on and we we used it and played around with it. And, you know, much to our parents' dismay sometimes, Um, you know, so so hopefully that means that our generation in, in this sense, in the comedy sense now, it will help us. Yes, I think so. I can certainly think, and I'm sure you can too, of comics who are five and ten years older than me Mm. who can't get over the hump. I struggle to get over the hump, but I can do it. But there are people who are like, this is not the job. And fair enough, Mm. it wasn't. It wasn't Uh, the job. The job was something different. But if you want to keep doing the job and not dwindle and just kind of gradually rely on a diminishing (laughs) amount of opportunities, you need to change your mindset completely. I'm yeah. now going to quote your own mailing list to you. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> well, I think it's because you're, um, you've got a new special out. And in the mailing, this, this felt like such a zenial quote when I read it. It's my new DVD, except no one does them anymore. And the nearest equivalent is a comedy special, which doesn't sound very British. It sounded like you're sitting there struggling to work out what it is you've made. Thank you for the opportunity to explain at length what the hell this thing is. Okay, so it's a special that isn't very British, but there's no other word for it because it's certainly not a DVD. It is, however, not a live stream. It is a pre-recorded digital product, which is basically a DVD, but not. And um, and I taped it at the end of 2021. I am inordinately proud of it. It looks beautiful. Every, like all the, I I'm not a I'm not a big visual person. But for once, I went. They said, "What about the set?" And I because it's being produced. 800 pound mm. gorilla have kindly produced it, and it, I'm so thrilled. They said, "What about the set?" And rather than go, no, I don't know. Can you think of something? <laughs> for the first time, I went. I'm going to have an idea. And um, my uh, <laughs> friend Jenny Stringleman, a brilliant artist in New Zealand, I love her art, and it's I just can't buy any of it because the shipping costs are just impossible. <laughs> so I said, I would love to do something. Could you paint me a thing? And she said, Well, I don't have time to do that, but you could get you could get an existing one, and I'll gift you the copyright, and you can enlarge it and put it in the background. So it has this wonderful backdrop. I agonised over what to wear. I got my hair cut a week before, but I told my hairdresser, cut it so it looks like it hasn't been cut for a month. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And of course, I put all of this effort into the stuff and the jokes and, and the structure. I'm so proud of it. And then I did this big social media rollout. I ticked all the boxes on a spreadsheet they'd made for me. I did all the stuff. I sent all these emails and then the messages started coming back. What is it? But what? where, <laughs> where, where is it? Can I go to it? Is it in London? I'm, no, I've done all this stuff. It's an online thing. It is an event. It's with a company called Moment and they, they do a live streamed. It's a pre-record. It's not happening live, but it's a live streamed event that you can go to. It's got an after party and, and it's a thing. And then if you bought a ticket, you couldn't make it. It's, it stays there for the next couple of weeks. The question I was going to say was, were stand-up DVDs a big deal for you? So no, almost no DVDs. Um, what I loved was um, 
just for last from Montreal. And I would always be heart. This is this this will date me as well. I would always be heartbroken when the listings in the TV guide said just for laughs, but it would be the other product they do, which is a clip show of some French guy, French Canadian guy, doing Dom <laughs> Jolie types, pre Dom Jolie <laughs> yeah. interfering stunts, basically. Yeah. And it would you'd see just for laughs, you just pour here, and you go, oh my god, I'm going to stay up all night and watch this at one in the morning on Channel Four. Oh, it's this one. But yeah. but sometimes it wouldn't be. Sometimes it would be. Eddie Izzard, first ever appearance doing the hunting wolf, raised by wolves bit, um, or it'd be Vic and Bob singing Lucky Carpet and dying. Like, it's, it's worth looking up. I mean, I love, I couldn't be more of a fan of Vic and Bob, but in their own words, you know, they yeah. died on their ass doing Lucky Carpet. Um, who got, I think Sadovitz got punched out. I don't think they ever showed that one. Gosh. He said, Good evening, moose fuckers, and someone climbed up on stage during a TV record and laid him out. Um, those things. Someone, oh, Rowan Atkinson singing "Staple Me to a Maple Tree." There's no place <laughs> that I would rather go because I'm a believer in the land of the beaver. Ben Johnson cheating, huskies and snow. And I like I haven't seen that since the '90s, and I remember it. Word for word. So those those were the things. Not DVDs so much as like late night Channel Four mm. things. No. I I had some DVDs, but I couldn't like they didn't make a big imprint on my memory. I don't think no. take cassette tapes. 1989. This is my exposure to stand-up. 1989, Lenny Henry did a tour called Live and Unleashed, and I had the cassette tape of it. I went on a school uh. skiing trip. I didn't like anyone on the, in my, at my school, really, and then no one on the skiing <laughs> trip. I was profoundly lonely, and I listened to that back to back to back to back to back to back to back. I listened to that cassette tape over and over again, and I could quote almost the entire thing. And that, um, that was my stand-up comedy. <laughs> So, what would you like to put into the Zenial Dome? I would like to put in, and I can't remember the model number. Would you like me to look up the model number? No, uh, we, no we've got you, it. Because in the email oh. you sent us, I've got it. You sent that it was so specific what you sent, and I did want to go like, did you really mean this specifically? Uh, okay, it, it, I do not know. I've got one in mind, but I don't right. know the brand. And okay, it's very it's like that, but if I saw a picture of it, God, I could tell it to you. The the, the the photo you sent was of a Sony CFSW338 boombox dual twin deck stereo cassette tape player recorder radio. I think I had the 339. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the specificity of what it you was, sent us. It, that was the nearest one I could find online. I, th- I thought mine was a Sony, but I just can't find it. I've racked, I've gone through all the listings. I can't find it. It was sort of, it had a curve down at the front on the speakers. Yeah. It was my most prized possession. And I, it could not only do high-speed dubbing. I taped, oh, yeah, I taped uh, <laughs> "Smells Like Teen Spirit" off the radio the second time yeah. it got played on John Peel, and I, I taped it onto one of the cassettes that you get free with uh, Sinclair User Magazine that used to load up Spectrum <laughs> games on because those were cassettes, mind-blowing mm. cassettes yeah. that were five minutes long. That was the cassette. So you could get Smells oh. Like Teen Spirit on one side and um, Opposites Attract by Paul Rabdoll on the other side. So, <laughs> That's uh, perfect. Yeah. Those were my two. I, I had a Paul Rabdoll poster and a Kristen Slater poster and I was madly in love with both of them. And uh, <laughs> I, I had the, the high-speed dubbing and I had the, the system and I worked out if you switched it on and pressed play and racked up the tape and had the power button on but you had a big, clunky timer light switch plug adapter um that would such as your parents would use for fooling burglars when you were on holiday <laughs> you know those like it would tick round yes you know what I mean? yeah. looks like a yes. boiler kind of ticker um <laughs> you would put that on and you could set the alarm for yourself such that you would be woken up um by bobby brown singing my prerogative oh 
I feel wow. so vulnerable now. That's, no, that's no, great. I, I used the same technology to record something. I mean, I I think I might have used to record an episode of Sorrow Have a Clue when we were on holiday. Yeah. And I did the same thing where <laughs> totally I set the timer, set the timer. That's yeah. record, Brilliant. left, and then while we were away, again, oh. a burglar coming past at 6.30pm <laughs> would be like, well, I'm not going to be burgling there. Yes. They're listening to one song to a tune of another, and then <laughs> listen to it. Incredible. <laughs> that's so good, but that's so zenial, right? You're using the, yeah. it's exactly what we're yeah. talking about. Using the technology, not for its intended purpose, but MacGyvering a thing together. I remember I, I tried to, and I never could get this to work, but because of the big flat front piece of the, the front speakers of the, of the Sony... I tried at one point to wedge it between uh, some cushions and my bed so that I could put my pillow on top of it so it would be playing out through my pillow in the morning. That's really I tried clever. it while I couldn't sleep on it. I built it. Because that's yeah. the modern day. You know, you can get those headbands now where they mm. place the radio through this headband you can put over your ears. You were, you were a pioneer, Stuart. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to love that, used to love that thing. It's life-changing, my most prized possession. So, in term, because you um, you run a very successful podcast, as, as we've just um, discussed, uh, did you use your boombox to record yourself? Good question. I imagine I did. I'm sure me and my brother would have done sketches on it. Mm. Yes, I don't. Because I always remember, you know, playing at, um, you know, creating like a radio program or something. Yes, like that I'm, with a I don't and... think I ever did that. And I think I do stress as a podcaster, I was only ever interested in me learning and teaching myself. Mm. The, the broadcast of it was absolutely a byproduct. <laughs> I really just wanted to have the conversations, and I thought, well, <laughs> if I say I'm going to put them out, then people will be more inclined to talk to me. So, I, but but me, I think me and my little brother would have done um, comedy sketches from the comic relief book, where they said, have this book. These are all copyright oh, free. Yes. Do your sketches. Make money in your town hall and then send it to us and of course we, we would do it on holiday to our parents because we were very little so you didn't interview your little brother and ask are you happy <laughs> <laughs> no and it's just as well <laughs> i was quite impressed the the one you sent us because i had something similar two tapes mm. double the yeah it's 79 pounds on ebay right now Ooh. i feel like for a while you could pick one of them up for like a fiver in a car boot sale or 100 yeah. percent you could and now it's it's come back around hasn't it people are like I oh think digital media sucks because you'd only ever buy a license to it have a yeah. physical thing that you can fix when it breaks with a pencil and i think finding a box of cassettes as often yeah. happens to me and going oh i need the thing to be able to play <laughs> yes. these I again have, so. i have just got the very last they've been through several clear outs i've got somewhere i've got the cassette with smells like teen spirit on it just so i can show oh. my kids one day <laughs> I've, I've got a few cds um i kept bits and bobs i think i've got i think i taped i've probably got a vhs of um the dangerous brothers oh yeah, yeah that would yeah. be if that's not on DVD, that would be worth like. Yeah, on probably to would. It. Yeah, 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 for oh. sure. And I've got a copy of How to Be a Superhero by Mike Lee and Mark Mark Lee and Mike Lapine, I think, or the other way around, with drawings by Garth Ennis. And that was like I used to cry laughing at that. That would have been very nineties. How to Be a Superhero, and it was like a sort of riff on. It was like a kind of, you know, it's like a sort of, yeah. I don't know, I'll find it somewhere. You look it up on eBay, I'm sure it'll be like five hundred quid because it's just a. Also, I had the book of How to Be a Complete Bastard. With yes, Adrian Edmondson, I yeah. and I had the book of the young ones. So these would have been Bachelor all things boys. that were, would these be like yours, not not your not your parents, not your oh, 100%. siblings. Yeah, this definitely. would have been like my, my stuff. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And is there anything from that era that you'd like to see a resurgence of? Do you mean a format or a whatever? Anything, anything. items, an or item or a person? <laughs> <laughs> resurgence. Well, I'd like. Um, 
I'd like Adrian Edmondson to to do his to do, to reprise all of my favourite stuff that he ever did. I, you know, I was so <laughs> devastated by when when Rick died, and mm. um, I think that Adrian then went on to do. Well, he does act in bits and bobs now. He does. Yeah. But and every time he's in something, there's a real feeling of oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think he's so yeah. so wonderful, and their chemistry mm. was incredible. And I saw Bottom Live live a couple of times, oh, and did I, you? you know, yeah, man. And I remember being heartbroken when I then saw the the. I got the the um, VHS of it and realised that some of the bits of business were <laughs> repeat, you know, fake mistakes and stuff. You can't, you can't, you know, like the bit where he closes, the, slams the door, and he's or he, he and then the, the door goes back open and he pretends there's a stagehand back there and he goes, "You're just a stagehand. Do you know who I am? I'm Rick fucking Mail." <laughs> and I love, I love it when you see online when you see um every so often it'll do the rounds on Twitter of something like, "Oh, when I got married, Rick Mail signed this for me," and it, like the way he used to sign stuff was always like, "You." complete fucking shit and then he'd cross it out and go I hope you have a lovely wedding you know like it, it was just so so masterful um, so that kind of tone and that spirit and that anarchism yeah. people are doing versions of it but it was completely of its time and, mm. and very very special to me I think we've established that you you are a Zeniel, um, but we're trying to we we would love to find out what kind of Zeniel you are. So we've got a couple of quick fire questions for you, which we'll run through. Don't think about them; just answer them as quickly and as honestly as you can. These come from the gut. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God. Right. Okay. Oh. First one: Children's BBC or CITV? BBC. Philip Schofield and Sarah Green, or Andy Peters and Emma Forbes? Oh, uh, well, Schofield. I mean, Schofield, but a lot, <laughs> lot of love for Peters. <laughs> Chewits or Opal Fruits? Mm, I like the dinosaur from the Chewits, but I think, in all honesty, I was an Opal Fruits guy. Mm. Mario or Sonic? I, I didn't play either of them at the time. I, I mean, I've got nothing to do. I've got no relationship with Sonic, apart from me and my son saw the movies and they, they were good movies. They're surprisingly good movies. James Marsden really just found his... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but I will have to say Mario because I played it on the N64. Okay. Clowns or acrobats? Oh, I'll have either of them. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But honestly, acrobats can do wonderful things with their bodies and clowns, you're always going to have a laugh. <laughs> CDs or tapes? Tapes. Blur or Oasis? Neither. Heavy metal. <laughs> well, this one is, isn't going to be relevant either then. Spice Girls or All Saints? Uh, well, it's tough because um, uh, Pure Shores by All Saints is my wife's favourite song, but ah. uh, uh, Wanna Be by Spice Girls is my children's favourite song. <laughs> Recently, uh, my six-year-old has just gone pure steps. He's just discovered steps, and he is an energy pop kid, and it's blown his mind. Oh. So I'm halfway between. I'll have uh, two from the Spice Girls and two from All Saints, please. <laughs> oh, that's the super group. Um, and the last one, Hooch or Bacardi Breezer? I think it's Hooch. It's Hooch because I remember both. I mean, this is so weird. I remember when they both started, but Hooch was the original Alco Pop that launched a thousand fights. Yeah. So Hooch, and I wasn't there, but my wife was. Uh, we were at Mac Festival, and Finn Taylor was living with us at the time, and uh, he got absolutely battered on Hooch because he didn't understand what it was. <laughs> Brilliant. What a perfect ending to this yeah. episode. Um, how can people find out about you and what you're up to next? Um, Let's they just can all, go all in. They can all go to stuartgoldsmith.com. It's got all the bits and bobs. It's got links to the podcast and uh, everything else. That was Stuart Goldsmith. 
thank you very much to him for coming on the show. Check out his special on YouTube. It's called I Need You Alive. Uh, it's Stuart Goldsmith, so you spell Stuart with a U, and it's on the £800 Gorilla YouTube channel, and it's really, really great. And um, oh, it was lovely to speak to Stu. That was that was really good fun. Yeah, I do like talking to people who inter- who interview other people. Like, I like giving them an opportunity to just talk about themselves. Because <laughs> do you think they're itching to say, if I was on this podcast, this is what I would say? I think so, yeah. That's what I would do anyway. Because I, I think about that all the time about this podcast. I always think, oh, I, I wish I could do the quick fire round. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, one week I'll interview you. And I'll okay, let great. You do the quick fire round. I'll do that. That would be like lovely. Thank your you. Birthday or something. We'll do that. Yay! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So thank you very much uh, to Stu, and also thank you very much if you came to the live show that we did at Machampleth Comedy Festival. Thank you for oh, coming. Oh, so much fun! And thank you for taking a load of Q magazines off my hands. Uh, that was a real really did me a solid there it was so funny because i just remember at the beginning of that show like the front row they were swapping them already like they picked them up and they already knew that they didn't want the person on the cover so they were swapping them along the row i just thought that was such teenage behavior doing swaps it was there was a lot of swapping (laughs) going on and i thought it was one of those things where it's like i'll put a q magazine on every chair and i bet at the end most of them will be left for me to go and either take back home or take to a skip no i only had about five or six to take to take back great. myself all the others have headed off now into the oh. bins and bushes of machampla so, <laughs> <laughs> um actually rebecca sent us a tweet of the copy that her son who is not a zenial but thank you very much to him for coming along and during the recording finding out what top shop is um, oh, I was I was about to give him a three hour lecture on what Topshop is. <laughs> <laughs> but he he took he was one. With, he took one with Radiohead on the front cover, which I knew would be popular. Do you know what I should have done? I should have kept a record of who was not popular and which cover stars I ended uh, up taking home. Have you got your Kylie one? I, well, I got my Kylie one, and then I lost my Kylie one because I thought I put it in my rucksack, and I got home and I couldn't find it. So Kylie's out there somewhere alone. Oh, no. I quite like the idea that it's been left in the O'Anglindur Centre so that people think it's some sort of historical artifact together yeah. with the rest of our Welsh heritage. It'll still be there next year when we go back to do next year's show. And and Kylie's got a Welsh gran, so it, it, it feels relevant. It does. It does feel relevant. It, I imagine what O'Anglindur would have made of Kylie. I think, she, I think he'd have loved her. I think he'd have been a fan. Yeah. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can. You can drop us an email to thezenialdome at hotmail.com or you can tweet the Zenial Dome. You can Instagram Zenial Dome or you can get in touch on MySpace. Um, I will say Instagram and Twitter are definitely the more popular ways that people use, I've noticed. Annoyingly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That MySpace account takes us longer and longer to log in every week and there's less and less (laughs) happening on it. Uh, but do get in touch um, and we shall see you next week where our guest will be Gronya Maguire. Oh, it's a great one next week. Oh, it's brilliant. really good fun. Yeah, yeah. So Gronya Maguire next week and uh, we shall see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.